10.31 this morning, East Mission Police uh, discovered a suspected number of zombie attacks. This is the third outbreak in the United States in the past 10 years. Most residents have evacuated the city as well as most civil authorities. Frank West famously survived the first zombie outbreak in U.S. history. He then rose to fame with his reporting on the 2006 outbreak in Willamette, Colorado. People are going to get eaten, faces chewed off, screaming as they go down. Hands, arms, guts ripped out. People are going to be gnawing on each other. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Dead Rising Retrospective Series. Nobody cares about these people unless they're eating other people. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Sounds like fun. Hosted by Arnie. You guys are taking me with you, right? Justin. You're all right. One of us. And Stuart. Who's this shady looking dude? This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. This is a serious situation, but there's no need to panic. Listener discretion is advised. Friends don't let friends go through Z-Town alone. That's what I'm talking about. Today we're discussing Dead Rising Watchtower, starring Jesse Metcalf, Megan Ory, Virginia Madsen, Keegan mm. Connor Tracy, Rob Riggle, Dennis Haysbert, directed by Zach Lipovsky. This is the now playing co-host standing outside with a God hates zombie sign, Arnie. And Stuart. And you're in good hands with Justin. So Dead Rising, we are really getting into modern video games. I remember this game coming out. I was watching a lot of Spike TV and G4 at this time. <laughs> If you remember those <laughs> wow. networks. G4. Okay. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And this was during the time of the big zombie uprising with 28 Days Later and Shaun of the Dead and Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. And Marjorie and I saw the trailers for this Dead Rising video game and we're like, that looks like so much fun. We hadn't picked up a game on release day in years and we picked that one up release day popped it in the xbox a couple hours into it we were like eh, it's kind of dull and i haven't played it since <laughs> <laughs> wow well you know that's what it looked like i haven't played this game i haven't heard of this game i wish i never did but you know we're we're in this series now where we have to go through all of it it looked to me like someone saw Zack snyder's dawn of the dead and said what if resident evil had a little bit more of this what, what if we went wilding in a shopping mall like it looks like they took that concept and from what i could see through walkthroughs you're just basically going around chainsawing zombies in a shopping mall you know what, Stuart, you're not too far off on the origins of this game. You know, I, I remember it coming out and my son Tyler was at that age. I mean, he was 15, 16 when this came out and this was top of his list to have. So, of course, it was in our house and I played around with it a little bit when it first came out. But I really remember mostly walking into the room and watching Ty play. So, this game was born out of the idea that with Resident Evil 4 those zombies were getting faster and more evolved. And a developer at Capcom decided, you know what? Zombies need to be slow and marauding. So, you know, he decided he was going to pitch his own game, what was based on just zombies. And that's what he did. He 
popped it in a mall. And it's like, where have we seen this before? Zombies in a mall? Sure. That's that's definitely happened. So yeah, that's it, it came out of the idea that Resident Evil 4 was getting away from zombie-ishness and they wanted to launch a new franchise that could just be about zombies. And to make it explicit, Capcom makes Resident Evil. Right. It's not like he was at a different studio and like, hey, Resident Evil, we should copy that but go with zombies. No. He went to the bosses who were reaping huge rewards off Resident Evil and said, let's not do that. <laughs> There's even a little similarity in the fact that, you know, you think of Resident Evil, the villain being the Umbrella Corporation. Here, I believe it's in not just this movie, but in the game itself. There's Phenotrans, the manufacturers of an undead preventative called Zombrex. Yeah, and that, that really doesn't pop up until the second installment. In this first one, it's really not too much of sure of what's going on. Okay. It's just literally running around a mall, and then they start building a mythology with the additional games? Exactly. You know, the second game takes place in a different city. It's more of a Las Vegas type of city. I mean, none of these cities, they name by name, but you can tell what they're trying to do. It's kind of like with Grand Theft Auto, where it's like, oh, this isn't Miami. It's, it's Miami, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Wow, but that's more Zack Snyder. Like, they went to, a, like, Vegas, basically? We just saw that movie with Army of the Dead. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, who did it first, though, right? Mm. But the idea is that, like, you know, in this first one, you're you're having fun in a mall. You know, a mall is a good landscape to place a game like this. You know, I mean, you have all kinds of things to grab to use as weapons. I mean, that's part of the fun of this first game is you can grab mannequins and beat the crap out of zombies. That's the stuff that drew me in with the ad, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more about finding yourself in a situation. You're not a hero. You're just a, a photojournalist who thought there might be a story here. So you get choppered in and you get 72 hours to figure out what's going on. And, and it's weird because this first game, I don't remember this when I first played it back in the day, but the whole first level is you just kind of floating in on this chopper taking pictures of things going on. It's like, ooh, this is fun. I'm taking photos. Mm. <laughs> but choppers, again, that's something I associate with that original Dawn of the Dead Romero thing. And so, yeah, it really does feel like this game, basically, it didn't have any creative ideas on zombies. It just wanted to be retro. The fun is what you can use to kill a zombie. All the creative ways that a mall offers the merchandise to do a undead in. Yeah, and you know, the funniness of going into different shops and putting on different outfits and whatnot. You can run around in a dress and... It's really of that time where it's about different achievements, you know, secret things like, oh, you put on this dress and this hat and you get a special unlocked achievement, which is achievement systems are something that have never appealed to me. It's like, if I'm going to play a game, I just want to run through it. I don't want to figure out every little thing that can be done. Mm -hmm. I'm all for cutscenes. Is there a lot of movie in this? Can you just enjoy a story that's unfolding or are you basically just carnage, first person, kill them all? No, there, there is quite a few cutscenes and introduction to other characters. You know, you, you bump into, you know, part of the game is that you're, you're helping find survivors and get them out safely. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of up to you. Like the game plays out different ways depending on how you play it. But you'll bump into some people that you eventually figure out are FBI agents that are there trying to find somebody for some reason. And should you trust them? So yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of different cutscenes. And I suppose there's, you know, I didn't play it enough to know exactly if I played it right or if the story played out in a way that it shouldn't have. But there's a story there if you play it in a certain way. 
With video games, I don't need it to be creative in a new story and all of that. I like something that feels plugged into a movie universe I've already seen. But when you got to turn that all back and put it back on the movie screen, that's always been the problem. What I've been excited about now that we're moving into more modern games is we're moving, hopefully, away from games that are just copies of movies and created their own storylines that are, who knows, maybe even surpassing what's being done in the movies. That's my hope, anyway, is that we can see more originality in the storytelling and less people copying what had already been done in zombie movies. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I feel like what set this game apart and might have made people really enjoy it is this timer thing. You know, they put 72 hours on the wall. You know, you have this countdown timer before the helicopter comes back to pick you up. And I feel like that gives you a reason to keep playing. If you were just walking around like in Grand Theft Auto with no rhyme or reason, I can see this game getting kind of bored. But the idea that you have 72 hours to complete whatever it is you're going to do might have kept people coming back. Okay, you were explaining something as to why the clock is so long in this movie. I was like, why Why is it taking hours and hours? We should have, you want a ticking time bomb to be like two hours, right? Not 72. But okay, in, in gameplay, that gives you more opportunity to explore, I suppose. Right, in gameplay time, 72 hours is different than a two-hour runtime in a movie. You know, you, you want to get 20 hours out of a game. Yeah, I'd be pissed if, if a game were over in 90 minutes. So this game property was so hot that in 2015, the movie goes to Crackle? <laughs> you know Crackle. <laughs> they got all the hottest properties like Joe Dirt 2 and a <laughs> TV series based on Snap. <laughs> Actually, to be technical, I've spared you guys, but Dead Rising did get a live action movie, air quotes on that, before the one that we're here to talk about today. There is Zombrex Dead Rising Sun, which is basically a fan film, but since the guy that created it, the fan was someone that worked at Capcom that had created Mega Man, Kenji Inafuni, he decided he wanted to be a director for a day and filmed something that has two kids running around a warehouse looking for Zombrex and only occasionally running into zombies. We're not including it because, A, I'm not sure it officially ever got a release. I looked at IMDb and only 87 people had even seen it. Now there's <laughs> now there's 88 because I found it online. It's only an hour long, too. It's not really movie length, and it has the production values of Sleepaway Camp 4. It's, it really feels like maybe they were webisodes maybe putting out to promote the new Dead Rising 3 game when that came out. I don't know. We're not covering it, and thank God you can thank me for that one. It's total shit. Complete <laughs> shit. Bad acting, bad effects, bad everything. No zombies in it. But it did get the idea that already they were thinking about how to bring Dead Rising in as the next movie series. Because I do think that Resident Evil, by the time this thing we're here to talk about, it's on its last leg, right? Like We were reviewing the final Mia Jovovich movie just shortly thereafter that this had premiered. So I guess it was a way of thinking about how do we create a franchise after Resident Evil? How do we keep making something profitable live on? Or is this more like when sci-fi puts out Tornado when Twister's in theaters? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like your analogy. Sure. 
<laughs> yeah, that would help answer the question of why zombies in 2016. Because I feel like we were definitely on the back nine of that trend by mm -hmm. 2016. For sure. It should also be said that Legendary Pictures is behind this. This is a company that famously overpays for things. And so <laughs> they probably are like, we could be rolling in dough if we just spent $100 million less. So they created this new division, the Legendary Digital. This is the first Legendary Digital movie because they're like, you know, normally we would spend $200 million on Dead Rising and make no money. Now we're going to spend $5 million <laughs> and make no money. But, you know, they, they again, they, again, Pacific Rim and Clash of the Titans and Jonah Hex, they just had this history of taking properties that probably should have been a hit, but the price tag made them a flop. Well, this time, though... They brought in Zach Lepovsky, the director, and that name bugged me. I'm like, how do I know that name? I met him because I interviewed him when we reviewed Leprechaun Origins, which he directed. I hope he's a nice guy. I would like to say something nice about him. Yeah, Leprechaun Origins, in case you forget which of the, what, eight films that is, that's the one where they got the wrestler Hornswoggle in to replace <laughs> Warwick Davis, and they played it straight. The shocking thing about that movie is they're like, yes, we have a little leprechaun running around trying to kill people, but no one's going to crack jokes, no one's going to, like, me gold anything. Like, I don't know why you even bothered with Hornswoggle, you barely see the thing. <laughs> it was terrible. And Lepowski comes from visual effects, that's the most shocking thing, is like, that's his bread and butter, his creature design, but oof, that movie. Yeah, so coming in, I was a little nervous, and then I saw the cast, and I went, okay, you got Rob Riggle and Dennis Haysbert. This is going to be a comedy, right? Yeah, I definitely thought, in sitting down with this, never having seen a walkthrough or even knew the game, zombies. At this point, 2015, on Crackle, you're expecting to laugh at zombies. I definitely thought. The only thing that gave me pause was the lead was Jesse Metcalf, who is like, if soap operas were still a thing, he'd be a big star in that world. He'd be like the hunk that everyone loved on General Hospital. Instead, he's like the guy they call for Hallmark movies now. Like, he's started his career doing the shirtless lawn boy on Desperate Housewives and has now just basically the career of a guy that, you know, does romance novel covers or something. He's just a guy with washboard abs and no talent. Uh, that's where he comes from, Desperate Housewives. I, I kind of had him pegged as like a Dawson's Creek type of guy, but... If, if he were lucky, yeah, that would, that could have, again, yeah, soap operas. That's That was a weird message to send because I thought we were going to watch something funny, so why not get Rob Snyder? why would you get Jesse Metcalf? Hey, Jesse Metcalf would go on to be an escape plan too with Sylvester Stallone and Dave Bautista and Jamie King. So, oh, wow. And 50 Cent. So, well, uh, well, then I really hats off to his agent. I don't know how he pulled that shit off. Okay. <laughs> That's definitely not his image. It's a weird cast, an unknown property. An unknown network. What the fuck is Crackle? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I get, there's CBS All Access. There's Apple Plus. There's streaming networks that already, I feel like, have a hard time creeping in on Netflix and Hulu and Prime. 
Crackle. You know, below those, I put like Shudder and Crunchyroll. I got, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, if Crunchyroll is better than Crackle, Crackle is <laughs> yeah. pretty screwed. Yeah, Crackle is seafloor <laughs> level streaming entertainment. I agree. I don't. Here's the thing. On one hand, it's a very low bar for it to be a hit, right? Like that just means that, like, if you get anybody to tune in, you probably succeeded. If any of the people that have enjoyed any of these games find Crackle and watch it, well, that's why we've got a sequel. But before we get there, Arnie, why don't you give them the plot of Dead Rising Watchtower? The dead walk the earth. Zombies have entered society, and these slow-moving biters spread their death wherever they go. Fortunately, Big Pharma has a solution. Zombrex. If you're bitten, one injection of this each day helps keep zombification away. When this movie starts, a new zombie outbreak has begun in East Mission, Oregon. The Zombrex isn't working, and there are fears there's a new strain of zombie viruses. The government walls off the city and has a quarantine area for the possibly infected. Into this quarantine area sneaks hungry blogger Chase Carter, played by Jesse Metcalf, and his producer Jordan Blair, played by Keegan Connor Tracy. No major media outlet is in the quarantine area, so it's Chase that gets the first video of people turning into zombies even after a Zombrex injection. Zombies start to overtake the quarantine area. Jordan escapes, but Chase has to go deeper into the city, along with hot bite victim Crystal, played by Megan Ory, and Virginia Madison's character Maggie, a woman who's very depressed because she's in this movie and who had to kill her <laughs> own young zombie daughter when the Zombrex stopped working. Ten years before, she's Oscar nominated. Now, crackle. <laughs> It's hard being an actress in Hollywood. <laughs> it sure is, man. <laughs> the military plans to firebomb the town to contain the new zombie virus. But through Crystal, Chase gets a video that Zombrex still works. The government has a bad batch of Zombrex. Chase gets that video to Jordan on the outside, who works with General Lyons, played by Dennis Pedro Serrano Haysbert, to save the people in East Mission. But Jordan uncovers that General Lyons is behind the entire plot. His team intentionally delivered bad Zombrex, and now that Zombrex has proven unreliable, the military is mandating injections of chips that will automatically deliver a year's worth of Zombrex, but also track its subjects. Meanwhile, inside the town, distraught Maggie allows for a young girl zombie to kill her, while Chase and Crystal fight a biker gang, and those two eventually escape. Lyons has his men take Jordan, but Jordan leaves video proof for Chase of Lyons' conspiracy as credits roll. It's always helpful when we're reviewing a shit movie that I can start at least with a positive. And here we start with a animated pharmaceutical ad that I really like. I really like the idea that the zombie apocalypse can be called off because we now have a pharmacological solution. It's kind of a novel way to think about zombie outbreaks now. Yeah, I, I like that too, Stuart. Like, for watching Walking Dead for years and just eventually petering out on it because it's like, there's no end in sight here. They're not even talking about a solution. I like that this movie opens up with, hey, we have a solution. Mm -hmm. And the cure can sometimes be worse than the problem. So I think that's, again, I'm already suspicious of Phenotrans. I figure, like Umbrella Corporation, they're going to be up to some shenanigans here. Obviously, something's wrong, because even though you can become a zombie, take this 
and then stay human, the next scene we get is zombie clowns and undead cops running the streets of, well, they call it East Mission, Oregon. I don't know where that is exactly, but I guess it's a big enough town to seem like chaos. Is East Mission where the game takes place, Justin? Because that doesn't sound like a real city name. No, but I mean, it's kind of in that same vein. You know, the first game takes place in Willowmont, Colorado, which is not a real place. The second game takes place in Paradise, which is not a real place, but it's supposed to be Vegas. So just kind of in that same vein of like, hey, let's come up with a generic name and make it feel like any place America. Although I feel like they're doing a, a joke on like Katrina, you know, like New Orleans. Like we'll find out that there's a megadome and FISA, not FEMA, FISA is trying to get everybody out. And that's F-E-Z-A. Even though it sounds like a MasterCard competitor, it's the zombie disaster recovery. Right. But, it, but like FEMA's response to the Hurricane Katrina and getting people to the Superdome and having it be an epic fail. Like the joke is that, yeah, people are supposed to be running to this exit point, getting a shot of Zombrex, hopping on a bus, but there's no bus and the medicine's not working and it's total nightmare. You would think if you were doing a parody of that, you would want this opening to be a little bit more funny, right? You would want everything to feel a little bit more, if you got a zombie clown running around i would expect <laughs> jokes dropping all the time but this is a weird tone to have here that i think most of the time and again keep in mind this comes from the director that thought leprechaun could be played straight no this comes from the guy who was forced by a studio to make a leprechaun movie try to be horrific and he wanted a job <laughs> yeah okay but i guess all i'm saying is here's his opportunity to tell jokes i'm expecting them and oddly enough this movie is never funny no and we start with this what looks like it's going to be funny i mean we start with an action scene because it's going to be a while before we get it and so they use that old trope of showing us an action scene from the middle of the movie and then go a few days earlier and so you see him like throwing fan blades at a cop zombie and being attacked by a clown zombie and yeah this seems comedic to me yeah that's that's just it the tropes are there the game itself is is somewhat comedic you know what i'm saying like it's it's a serious tone but it is comedic you know okay more so than uh resident evil like resident evil had no silliness to it this was more irreverent at least the game right so they're tapping into that right and you know i mean i i don't envy having to make that choice of like trying to play this movie straight or end up being accused of trying to be a zombie land ripoff at this point yeah and i don't know how you make katrina funny you know like that's there's sensitivity all around here and i don't trust the director of leprechaun origins to get it right well there's going to be an attempt to inject some comedy here and before they do we're introduced to chase carter a reporter and i'm thinking okay well i'm not familiar with this movie universe yet so maybe this is their in movie frank west character the main character from the game and they're just kind of resubscribing what type of person he is because frank was just a photojournalist mm -hmm. this guy is obviously working for some upstart sleazeball type of online website type of thing trying to be legit 
Hit Point Digital. Hit Points, that to me sounds like it's a self-reference to gameplay or something like that. Yeah, it's a tiny media outlet that isn't legit. I thought that was called Crackle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That would be even more meta if he was working for Crackle trying to make this zombie outbreak seem really amazing. (laughs) But I guess I was corrected by the movie because the movie then introduces this device of cutting back and forth from what we're seeing happening live to news coverage of it from the studio with Rob Riggle playing Frank West. So I kind of thought that was a cool little trope to throw in here. It's like, okay, so they are going to acknowledge the events of the past games. Right. And this Frank West, I knew that had to be the case because Frank West is considered some kind of hero, not only because he's being featured on the news as the go-to commentator for zombie outbreaks, but later when we get into a pawn shop, we'll see that there are statues devoted to him. And it seems to be that whatever happened in that first game, it's made him legendary. And Rob Riggle is someone I associate with entirely as a news correspondent for The Daily Show, like back in the Jon Stewart days. So again, I'm thinking funny. He definitely is thinking he's funny, but I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of this ends up feeling like filler and not very helpful to the plot or to the entertainment value. I love Rob Riggle. I remember him from those Daily Show days. He's been in a ton of movies. He's always basically himself, I think, or his persona at least. I mean, whether I'm watching Let's Be Cops or Super High Me, you know, it's like he just always has that same persona. But I can't get over the feeling that it was like after making this whole movie, they said, we need something here. Let's get Rob Mm -hmm. Riggle on the set for one day with no script. He's just going to make shit up. Just riffing. Be funny. Make (laughs) this funny. Here are the updates and make it funny. Yeah, I definitely feel for him a little because I feel like he's got very little to work with. And actually, the true comic gold here is Susan because I feel like the anchor gets more to play off of because he'll, you know, start screaming about conspiracy theories. She's the one that, you know, gives him side eye and basically takes the stance that I have of this guy is ridiculous. It's also a device that we're not asked to look too closely at because they're telling us it's 72 hours. They even have a countdown clock on their live broadcast, yet they never break coverage. They're always those two (laughs) people on the same set over the course of three days, never change, never get up to use the restroom. One of those things that kind of falls apart on closer examination. So he's basically the Jim Acosta of the zombie outbreak. (laughs) You know, it's actually very confusing for me, though, that they've introduced the idea instantaneously that there's a zombie cure at the same time that there's a zombie outbreak. It takes me a little while to understand the fact that I think what we're supposed to get is that infected people are a threat. Like, okay, you're a recovering zombie. You miss one shot. You don't get your dose that day. And suddenly something like this can happen. And so I think we're supposed to think that all of the people that have zombieism in their bloodstream have been relegated to this East Mission ghetto. Yes, and this was introduced in the second game. So, like, the Zombrex isn't coming out of nowhere. Like, fans of the second game, the main character is Chuck Green. He's a daredevil, like, motorcycle guy that we don't necessarily see in this movie. But part of his mission is to get Zombrex to keep his daughter, who is infected, from turning to a zombie. So that's part of the gameplay. Okay. 
So with Zombrex, can you be a zombie and be injected and become human again? Or is it once you go zombie, you're done, but this can keep the zombieism at bay? Yeah, yeah, there's no turning back. It's, I believe, you've been bitten before you fully turn. If you mm-hmm. keep using this medicine, it stops you from going over. Yeah, that's kind of how I take it. Because otherwise, it seems inhumane to be killing these zombies. You would just be finding ways to shoot them with darts full of Zombrex or something like that. If you could turn them back. Good point. Once you get those milky eyes and start wanting to, you know, bite into necks, you're a lost cause. And I think that's why it's this threat. What, what The reason why the buses aren't coming and the why FISA isn't successful is no one really wants these people to get out because they're all carrying zombieism. And so they're kind of like second class citizens. I got the feeling that there were zombies in other places and that since this movie does take place between Dead Rising 2 and 3 and we have the hero of Dead Rising 1 out there, which you told me, Justin, takes place in a different city, I thought that these people on Zombrex were possibly worldwide, but this new outbreak just happened in the city and we're going to find out it's because the government orchestrated it or the military orchestrated it at least. I think we're to take it that random outbreaks do occur. This isn't yeah. necessarily a one-off thing. And it, this is kind of how they go about it. Like an up- outbreak occurs, they quarantine the area, they make sure they get all those people that could be infected on Zombrex, clear it out, and wait for the next one to happen. And can I just say how weird it is to watch this movie in the era of Corona, to see these people <laughs> in a hall and taking shots and trying to keep vaccinated? I just couldn't help but equate some of 2020 to this movie that came out five years earlier. Yeah, we've learned that this would not go down like this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it actually makes it feel topical, and I agree. I'm curious, like, wow, drugs that worked for a little while and then don't. Like, I wonder if this will become our story with COVID. So, yeah, again, all of this is working for me, but I know almost instantaneously that this movie is not going to because it's shot with, what, a GoPro or something? When we get this action... Is the idea that we're trying to do that found footage look still? I don't know what they're doing with the camera work. I know that our main character is filming stuff. He's got a camera woman with him. Is that supposed to be POV shots? I don't know. It looks horrible. This movie looks like it belongs on Crackle. (laughs) (laughs) I think that they're using digital cameras, handheld stuff, because... I learned so much about digital technology when I did that Blade retrospective with the director of the television series talking about how digital cameras can help you do these things. I'm thinking that they just use digital cameras. I kind of like the washed out color palette they use, but... I agree with you. It's like, this is being made cheaply, and the entire idea was run and gun with a camera and get the shots. There's motion in almost every shot. In some ways, that provides energy. In other ways, it provides annoyance. You know, in certain shots, you'd probably have used some kind of stand or tripod to not have your camera shaking. But to me, it just felt like an episode of ER, you know, where they run through the doors with the people and it's not a POV shot. It's just putting you in the action. Yeah, handheld cinematography is is popular, particularly on television. And this is a TV movie. 
Yeah, the crazy thing is, is that there are scenes that are shot more traditionally, you know, with a tripod and pannons and, you know, dolly shots and stuff like that. But the scenes that they do pop in on this shaky handout thing are so jarring that they scar you. Because it's like, hold that camera still, you're giving me a headache. And I remember this being a problem with that Leprechaun movie, too, is that they did a lot of POV shots of him running through the barley or whatever, and it looked like shit. I don't know, they haven't <laughs> learned their lesson. Leprechaun Origins was a failure. Why don't you know that? But I know already, I really don't like this zombie action. This is not going to be World War Z. And I'm not really loving any of the people that we're meeting either, starting with Chase, who is, I guess you're saying, not a video game character, but kind of modeled on one that would be in a future Dead Rising game. Yeah, I mean, and as of today, there's been four installments of this game, and he hasn't made an appearance in the one game that was produced after these movies came out. So I don't know if there was a plan to introduce him into the gaming series, or they just thought, this story takes place in the same universe, why not use another character for the story. Hey, it's just as inventive as that recent Mortal Kombat. Let's bring in a character not at all associated with the games <laughs> for our protagonist. But I kind of think this guy is fine. I like that he's pushing for actual news through his sad blog or vlog and trying to go where the reporters won't. I mean, he and his producer went into the quarantine zone where the quote-unquote real reporters are just sitting against a blue screen with Rob Riggle. Nice. Yeah, I guess that would make him a little bit more admirable. I'm not feeling it. And then, you know, instantly, supposedly he's pushing for real news, but instantly he's trying to hit on women like Crystal, whose story is that she has been bitten but is not turning into a zombie because she has her bootleg supply of Zombrex. And it introduces the idea that there's the Zombrex that the government is giving that's not working at the Megadome. And then if you're lucky enough to have your own, the good stuff, uh, you can stay human longer. That, that was kind of funny that there's there's bootleg stuff out there that people are, are making and selling on the secondary market for some reason. But I'm guessing it's from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this whole movie's from Canada. Yes, it is. And it's making me feel very angry at Canadians, frankly. But yeah, all right, so she's the love interest. And then, yeah, somehow they got Virginia Madsen. Like, I don't know what has gone wrong in her life that suddenly Crackle is an option. But she's here, you know, as they're running around in this opening, she's grieving over the fact that her daughter had to be put down. She was a zombie for years since she had been bitten in the crib, but Mama had to finally stab her in the head and is now going to tag along with them as they take refuge in a pawn shop. And she doesn't seem to be accepting the fact that her daughter is gone. I mean, through most of this movie, she's talking about her daughter in the first person and as if she's just out there waiting for her mom to come find her, even though we saw we meet her as her daughter's lying dead on the street. Yeah, we see the corpse, but then she'll spend half the movie saying, I have to go find her. So, confusion reign. But I, I'm more surprised that they're playing, again, the storyline is straight. This is supposed to be a heart tugger. I wouldn't think you'd want to go anywhere near genuine, like, that's Walking Dead moves, right? Walking Dead is the drama series that has zombies in it. You want to be zombie land. You want to be the funny one. Zomcoms, that's what you're going to do. I would think, but it's not what they're doing with her and with many of these characters. Yeah, they're playing it very straight. Oh, Virginia Madsen's character here is entirely sad in multiple ways. I mean, you're introduced to her having just killed her daughter with a Swiss army knife, and the rest of the movie, she's going to be distraught 
until she basically commits suicide and has added nothing to the plot. Yeah, it's a reference to Night of the Living Dead. I mean, it goes all the way back to the original, really, the idea of the, the mother that can't accept that her child is going to kill her. But that is what they're playing with. That's the trope that they're going with here. And and another trope that I think is a classic that has been as old as Night of the Living Dead is that humans are usually worse than the zombies. That truthfully, the real bad guys are the army or, you know, these biker gangs that blow in. Dennis Haysbert, he's another actor that I thought after being the president on 24 for so many seasons, he would be too good for this. General Allstate. We're in good hands when he shows up. <laughs> he's got such a smooth voice. Oh, man, this guy is amazing. I really like him as an actor, but it will always go back to Major League for me. I mean, fuck you, Joe Boo. Just that guy, and he has had such a long career, and the moment I hear that voice, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Allstate Pedro Zerano. Yeah, he's not (laughs) here to do much other than he's setting that clock that you talk about. It's 24 hours, but he's going to drop bombs. For some reason, they're waiting 24 hours to make the tough choice about nuking the city. I don't really know why. I don't know why you don't do it right away, but the sense is that we're going to let FISA screw up first, and then we can take over. Yeah, it seems more like, you know, just kind of hand-waved, like, bureaucracy and, you know, doing it the proper way, you know, if... if FISA screws up, then this is my show, so we'll find out later that that's not necessarily the case, but yeah, he's here definitely at this point to start that clock ticking. And FISA is really screwing up because I thought the title referred to this gate. There is a watchtower where the army is, where all the people that aren't infected with the zombie bites yet, they're running for, you know, sanctuary. The bus didn't come for them. So they're running to this watchtower. They get gunned down. If you try to escape this city, they've erected a wall around it and you will be killed by military men. And they know that you aren't infected and they'll still gun you down. The only person to get out is Jordan, the camera woman, who spends her storyline trying to investigate the conspiracies around the army and FISA and what have you. Right. So Jordan is somewhat on the outside. You know, she's got to the wall. She's kind of figuring things out, talking to the head of FISA, talking to the head of the pharmaceutical company, and still in somewhat of contact with Chase, who is now teamed up with Madsen and beautiful zombie girl. Yeah, Crystal. And you know what? I'm gonna say, though, I like Megan Ory in this film. She is exceptionally hot, and you get why Chase would go after her initially, but she is also tough in this movie, and I end up getting beyond her looks and liking Crystal as a character. Ambivalent. I feel like she doesn't get to do a lot. Most of the characters don't. Where she could have shined, where where her uh, interesting dynamic lies in the fact that she has the ability to zombie out. If she doesn't get the good stuff, she's running low on her own supply, then she could become a part of this problem. And so, yes, the toughness you speak of is the fact that you don't want to get too close or she might kill you. And then there's the biker gang, the Mad Max people that ride into town that are human and like to, you know, taunt zombies and survivors alike. We see them laughing as a yuppie couple is left for dead after they've been robbed and they go through the pawn shop and almost catch our heroes here. They are taking advantage of the fact that the zombie city has become a playground for anarchy. Well, in this pawn shop, before we get too far into the gang, is this movie's way of saying, hey, we've played the games, and if you've played the games, check it out. 
Because what they're doing in this pawn shop is, you know, first of all, I think you both probably noticed that big Lego head. It's a Mega Man. What was that? Yeah, I didn't. I noticed it, but didn't get it. <laughs> so I don't know Mega Man, but apparently it's from that, and it's been in the games. It's something you could put on as playing Frank West running around the mall. So it, it just always just kind of looked like a Lego head to me, but it's it's from Mega Man. Yeah, it's called it's, a Servbot, and I had to look that up because I'm like, Lego's going to sue somebody for being in Crackle. <laughs> <laughs> but also what they're doing at this this pawn shop is they introduce, you know... It's a little wink and a nod that they're drinking orange juice. Yeah, what was that? In the game, you drink jugs of orange juice to regain life. Okay, you are explaining so many eccentricities that I'm just like, what's with the fixation on orange juice in the Lego head? (laughs) Okay, so these are things that only gamers are going to get in jokes. Yep. And here I was, but yet that's the kind of thing you want when you have these video game movies. Sure, sure. And then they also introduced the idea of crafting weapons. You know, they're back there putting together weed whackers and chainsaws and paddles and stuff like that. And that was very much a huge part of the second game was finding different disparate things, putting them together to have a fun new weapon. And here I was thinking they were in a thrift shop because the biker guy looks like Macklemore. You know, like I just thought like, (laughs) they're just trying to cash in on that song. It would have been popular around the time this came out, but... Dime Store Vin Diesel with Macklemore's hair, for sure. Yeah, yeah, really. But I, you know what? I will say, it's as good as it's ever going to get in this moment, when the gang rides in and we finally get to see them use these weapons, if there's any entertainment value at all to Watchtower, it's seeing these kind of loser characters use their janked up little weapons to try and fight their way out on the street. And this part of the movie is honestly the less exciting part of the movie for me when they're just kind of going through the city. This Basically, the second half an hour of this two-hour-long movie It's very is, long. This is your least favorite part? When they're just kind of going around and fighting the zombies. I like it much better when they kind of get past the basic zombies and start actually dealing directly with the biker gang and things closer to the one hour mark. I mean, we're talking about like the transvestite zombie and the clown zombie and all like, this is like dime store Bruce Campbell kind of stuff. I, you know, admittedly Sam Raimi is laughing at their attempts, but this is as close as we get to sort of that irreverent horror comedy style that I thought the whole movie would work in when he's on top of the school bus and the kids are in the back and this is almost passable yeah and it also feels a little bit like you know a fan letter to seeing the gameplay play Mm -hmm. out on a big screen you know this is we're gonna get kind of a pov type of action sequence here where he ends up on a bus runs through a bus fighting off zombies. We even get him throwing a traffic cone on a zombie's head, which is very much a trope from the games. Okay, I figured it had to be. Was the clown zombie in the games, or am I getting confused with Twisted Metal? Yeah, yeah, and actually it looks a lot like the character from the game. He's one of the bosses that you have to defeat. So it's Adam the Clown from the game who's hanging out, you know, in the fun part of the mall, the arcadey part of the mall that you have to defeat to, to win a chainsaw. Okay. Well, in this one, he's called Bonzo. I guess that's the creativity. Here, I just, I think I'm losing track of the characters. You say we're having the fun, but I'm more interested in what's going on outside the wall. Instead of fighting zombies and cutting to Rob Riggle saying weird things, I'm more interested in what's going on with Jordan as she's dealing with these people who are trying to manage the entire situation. 
Chase got the video of the Zombrex not working, and so they're all just convinced it's a new strain at this point. Yeah, okay. I feel like that's the serious movie, and that's what I'm not into. So we're just wanting different things from this, I guess. But I guess part of it is that I feel like the conspiracy is transparent. I could guess almost from the outset that the army has rigged fake medicine so that people would zombie out when they thought they were getting treated. I don't think it takes too many... You could be a zombie, undead brain power and figure this twist out real early. Well, you say we're wanting different things, and no, I'm wanting the funny movie. I guess I'm just not finding any of the comedy funny. It's not. I mean, but yeah, I, again, I'm trying to go with the low expectations, low energy, slow moving. It's on crackle, and I it's two in the morning, and I've got nothing to do kind of audience that would be tuning into this. <laughs> it makes me wonder if there's a funnier cut of this movie lying on the floor somewhere. Because, I mean, all the elements are here. Mm -hmm. It just it seems like whatever whatever line deliveries they chose for this final edit are the driest they could possibly find. Yeah, we've we've seen so many Zomcoms and Zombieland and Dawn of the Dead. And at this point, we've seen it done well so often that to see this just feels like... Oh, yeah, amateur hour. Like, these are people that, you know, there's a reason why the camera's been kept away from you. You're not capable of doing this. You're not going to get any better than Leprechaun Origins. This is much better than Leprechaun Origins. I mean, it's, mm, hmm, much better. I don't know if I agree with that. It's better. Splitting hairs. It's long. I will say that. I feel like the two-hour length, and, the, and like every time they cut back to the clock, and they're like, there's only eight hours left. I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted this thing to move fast. Not, I mean, we can have slow-moving zombies, but the pacing, the editing, the sense of, uh, of danger needs to be more encroaching than it is in this very dawdling movie. Can we all agree that this movie shouldn't have been two hours? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I'm shocked it is. As a TV movie, you would want it to be 90 minutes with 30 minutes of commercials. Well, see commercial breaks. I mean, it fades out at key moments and you can be like, oh yeah, this is where they would stick in the ads. Yeah, Allstate commercial. This, yeah, <laughs> this would be like uh, like a miniseries at this point. This thing would run for three hours probably on television, which is just stunning to think that anyone would sit there for that long. I know this. so little about Crackle. Do they have ads? I would think so, yeah. I mean, I watch streaming support Tubi. I mean, I've seen, you know, usually <laughs> the ads are only like 30 seconds or 90 seconds, but Hulu even, I don't pay for the premium version. So, yeah, my, my, my streaming entertainment does get interrupted with usually it is insurance ads actually so yeah uh. you know they're targeted so they're just thinking you need insurance Stuart. it's not like everybody's seeing the same ads uh okay i guess tell it on myself anyway i mean we can get to the plot as such as it is that that yes the camera woman is eventually let out of quarantine they're letting her snoop around she gets to working with the fisa guy and they find out that there may be a supply of good zombrex in a warehouse somewhere she calls chase and he takes crystal there this is where we get the death of maggie she is reunited with her daughter she's following a torn up teddy bear that's calling, you know, Teddy Ruxpin like her to a room full of zombies and she gets bitten and turned and becomes part of a horde that will chase the heroes for the rest. 
Was that her daughter or was that just a little girl? Because we don't really get a good shot of the daughter. We see like close-ups of daughter parts and the bloody Swiss Army knife. So I didn't think that was her daughter. I thought she'd just gone insane and saw a little girl zombie in a pink dress and was like, that's good enough to kill me. Oh, interesting. Yes, I agree. The camera work in this is extremely shitty. There is no way to know. (laughs) The zombies in this movie range. You know what I'm saying? It's like they have some ones that are made up for Mm close-ups. But for the most part, it's just people draped in in crappy blood walking around in the background. So it's hard to even know what is supposed to be a zombie in a lot of these shots. I get confused because the other two are wandering around the warehouse looking for the drugs. And there's this guy named Larry that's chained up there. We'll find out that this is the hideout for the biker gang. And he used to be one of them, maybe. But they've kept him alive and chained him. And he keeps injecting himself with Zombrex. And obviously it's not working because he's still undead. Or he got it too late. Yeah, it's like they've seen these type of things in other better zombie movies and decided to do it without any explanation. Because there's been (laughs) times in Walking Dead where they keep one of their friends chained up. You know, the bad guys use their former allies as weapons that they keep chained. End of of Shaun of the Dead, you know, keeping Nick Frost around for video games. Yeah. But you have to make those characters endearing in order to understand that choice. And yeah, the random people in bad makeup... Yeah, it's a puzzler. And again, this movie, by this point, is really dragging when we have Crystal and Chase. They get trapped in a, like a platform for a little while so that they can have some flirting moments. This stuff is, cut it. Just please, get rid of this. We don't need to know that he's really Chris Krabowski. And, you know, we already knew he was vain. We already knew that he's faking it for tea. I just feel like, yeah, let's get, get through this. We don't need to spend all of this time. He apparently uploads the video that exposes the shocking truth that government Zombrex doesn't work and black market Zombrex does. This is what confused me, though, is we have Jordan out there and the head of FISA is Norton and we think he's the bad guy and we think Dennis Haysbert's General Lyons is the good guy. Or at least we're supposed to. I mean, who's fallen for this? But okay. I fell for it. I mean, I'm not expecting twists in a zombie movie like this. And Dennis Haysbert, you're in good hands with him, right? <laughs> no, no. Any military person in a zombie movie is going to be the real enemy. It's just too much the cliche. But but yes, I thought the bureaucrat could be the bad guy, though, because a lot of times you see the army, they want results. They are bottom liners. And when he gives that line, when you're knee deep in shit, be glad it's not all the way up to your neck. I'm like, yeah, this guy is going to be the good guy. It's a slow reveal that the FISA guy is just caught in the middle and Lyons is got some plot that somehow the end goal is to inject microchips into bitten people for reasons. And not bitten people. Yeah, the title of, of this movie, Watchtower, is actually the code name for this secret army plot. That we are to understand that when FISA is exposed as being a total failure, basically this Lions dude is going to be put in charge of all of it. He's going to open up the gates. He's going to look like a good guy to the TV cameras. But all of this is to say, now we won't be giving you needles to inject these Zombrex. We're going to be implanting microchips that will just 
keep your bloodstream correct for three years straight. And what they're going to do with that, again, it's getting to the idea of post 9-11, you know, all the choices that we made and, and allowing people into spying on our lives, uh, all that stuff, you know, all that control we lost really over privacy uh, was handed to the military in the aftermath of all of that terrorist fear. Uh, they're getting to that idea here with zombies. Well, yeah, and flash forward to five years later, and it's the basis of QAnon conspiracy theories. I mean, this is the Bill Gates is trying to implant us with trackable chips in the vaccines. That is what's so strange about this is normally I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is just an old cliche. And now I live in a world where many people believe this. And so (laughs) it is kind of, I don't think it makes this movie feel relevant, but it does change the way that I experience. I agree, Stuart. Like, I wonder how this movie would have played in a, pre-COVID world. Like, I'm not saying I would have enjoyed it more, mm-hmm. but like, these things feel odd right. with the real world knowledge we have now. Yeah, maybe it hurts the the lack of humor. The, I'm finding it even less funny because it's true to life. I don't know. But right. I also think it's just not that funny. Like, when we get funny stuff, it's like when Chase gets caught, the bikers come back, and he gets, like, put on a forklift to be eaten by a whole bunch of people and has to fight it out by sawing his hands free. There's a zombie with a knife in his back, and he's got to figure out a way to get to it and cut loose his bind. I really didn't like this action scene at all. I don't know how Chase and his motorcycle were the only things that escaped not on fire. I didn't like that it was that specific knife that went out and killed the biker who was watching all of this. I'm like, it's just too cliche, too cutesy. But I actually do like the bits between Logan and Crystal, where Crystal had put a gun to Logan's head earlier, and it's kind of a fight of the alpha male versus the alpha female as to who's going to really win. And you find out this alpha male Logan isn't really a biker. He was like an office drone who decided he liked going Mad Max in zombie land. And so he wants zombies to be everywhere so he can keep being this persona of a badass and not go back to his TPS reports. Yeah, he's an opportunist. Again, we've kind of seen that conflict many times when you think about Shaun of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead even, where these people in regular society had lowly positions and then become elevated, become the heroes in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of a funny little twist on the idea that this man is manufacturing the zombie horror so he can feel important. Yeah, the, the problem is, though, is like, while it feels somewhat fresh in this movie, it, it's things that have happened over and over again in Walking Dead. You know, this is Negan, you know, okay. this is... I've heard this that is, name. I gave up on that yeah. show years and years ago, but okay, yes. I figured they'd have to exploit all of this if Walking Dead has been on for a decade. Every storyline with a zombie has been told. You know, part of me wants to see a better edit of this, because Arnie, you said you kind of like this scene between the two of them, but like... You know, the way it plays out is he's like, oh, you think I'm that stupid? And then proceeds to be just that stupid by letting her get that close to get his knife. You know, it's like, come on, edit that down. Make it so like he did see it coming. But the exposition here is there to show us that he used to be a regular guy. 
that the scene just plays out too long. Yeah, it's, uh, editing is the problem, but I don't think editing is the only solution. I mean, I think you'd have to have directed this with more money, with better actors, with just more of a sense of humor, camera placement. There's so many choices that go into making a funny midnight movie. This needed to be a 90-minute killer clowns from outer space kind of camp fest, and it's just too slow and dull and dreary to really get us intoxicated in the way that it aspires to. Yeah, that's why I think, again, I'm going to go back to the Logan and Crystal thing. I think those two are the actors giving the performances I'm most drawn to. Chase, as the lead here, is leaving me flat. But I'm finding something interesting in Crystal's character as the tormented one who's bitten and doesn't want to be Chase's experiment. Or... Logan, who is got his own reasons for wanting a zombie apocalypse, and they're both giving performances that I find engaging. And the only other person giving an engaging performance to me is Dennis Haysbert, who's I think just you know phoning it in. He's just oh, yeah. always this though, and all, mm-hmm. I like what he gives. Yeah, he's got some credibility just as an actor that he brings into this shitty little movie. I agree with you. You just need people with a with a Bruce Campbell or a, a Steve Buscemi, just like. This is where weird character actors shine and become leads or in movies like this, where their eccentricities can be part of the fun. And here, the problem with Chase is he's just too boring. He belongs on the soap opera. He doesn't belong in a zombie apocalypse. He kind of works as a newscaster. You know, the himbo newscaster bit. Matt Lauer. Mm. Yeah, and, and hearing you say that, Stuart, makes it even all the more disappointing that we've made it this far into this movie and we haven't really talked about Rob Riggle's performance here because it's he should be all of that for this movie and it just doesn't work. Why do you think they didn't cast Rob Riggle to be Chase? Like, if this is the guy that you thought should have that energy, is Rob Riggle just not fit enough to get on a motorcycle and do these stunts? I, I have to assume it's purely budget. Like you assumed earlier, they probably had him on set for a day and yeah. he did all of that improv. Yeah, I mean, Rob Riggle was in the Marines for 23 years, even though that ended 20 years ago, or, you know, it was only 12 years by the time this movie was made. I gotta think the guy could still get on a motorcycle. Yeah, I think he could have been really fun as the main character. Like, just give him the lead, and he would be able to do what he does. But if he's doing what he does here, it's not funny. It really isn't. I agree with you. The newscaster who has to, like, feed him the lines to be funny off of is doing Mm -hmm. better than all of the stuff that he's doing on there. Talking about, read my book. Don't watch us. Why, we're we're not going to help you here. Yeah, it's padding. What you really feel is, because they cut to it with more and more frequency, there's some sense that they wanted this movie to go longer. And I don't understand where that comes from. I don't know where that impulse is to say, we want to really draw this out. Unless this was a two-night event on Crackle. Again, I don't even know how ratings or how any of that worked on Crackle. But it seems to me like if you're making any zombie movie, you want it to be lean, mean, and 90 minutes. You do not want a two-hour zombie. Take that, Zack Snyder. (laughs) Well, we gave that (laughs) review, didn't we? Anyway, we can wrap this up because, believe it or not, even though we haven't covered probably lots of scenes, there's really not much else to talk about except this climax where Logan Macklemore has decided to lead his zombie horde to the watchtower and try to blow it up with a bomb. 
I just want to reemphasize, there's a lot of repetition in this movie. There's a lot of zombies that come fight and are killed in myriad boring ways. That GoPro blood crap. And there's lots of the biker gang coming around and, like you mentioned, killing the yuppies and things. And there's lots of scenes with the military people. But it just keeps hitting the same nail. And mm-hmm. it, so I feel like we've discussed every scene by just discussing each type of scene because there's not a lot of variety here. But when we get to the climax, I'm still sort of into it when Jordan starts to realize that, oh crap, I've trusted the wrong person. And the general has lied to her saying that he had people do a flyby of that warehouse and there was no sign of Chase. But she gets a call from Chase and no, nobody came to rescue us. (laughs) Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. The wheels are coming off of the illusion that the army is part of the solution and that FISA is all bad. She is uncovering the idea that the army, in fact, wanted this outbreak to happen so that Project Watchtower could become in place and these microchips are now going to become, I think, mandatory. If you are going to come out of this, you know, they're letting the gates open, they're letting survivors run out of the city, but that's just so that they can track them. That just puts them on the grid of control. But for what purpose? I mean, who wants that information? If I was bit by a zombie, does the government really care that I go to Target four times a week? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) The equivalency here is that after 9-11, your cell phone is spying on you. You know, like there's lots of lines got blurred about privacy. Cameras got put up everywhere. All of a sudden, when you think you're alone and no one's watching, the government can be there. Right, but that's, that's to Arnie's point, that's where most conspiracies fall apart is when you start asking questions of like, yes, but to what end? It's like, I, yes. great, they're tracking us all, but for what? Who cares? I mean, I guess there's data mining and discovering overall population trends and things like that, but this movie doesn't even suppose a reason. I agree. It's just government is evil, yeah. they're tracking you, and that's all it needs. But I need a little bit more if Lyons is going through all of these machinations to track us. There needed to be an end game to this tracking and not just, oh, I'm putting a tracker in you. And that's all we got. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, the way it plays on screen is, you know, the most charitable reading of it is, is that Lyons is doing this for personal gain and fame. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he wants the accolades of being the guy who was the hero here. Right. And he'll make anyone that is trying to stop it here. He will make the camera woman disappear. Jordan is making a video. Basically, she knows that they're coming for her. She says to her phone, hey, here's what I found out. Look into this. Hides it in the one place no one will ever look, a Wall Street Journal newsstand. (laughs) (laughs) I found it funny that the Wall Street Journal was like the one reputable news outlet in this whole thing. It's like the only news outlet <laughs> that actually gets name checked. Yeah, it's and it's really that, like, I look close. I'm like, did they fudge it? No, that's really the Wall Street Journal there. But yes, the, the point is that she gets grabbed. And uh, I don't know, I guess some of this might be explained on the sequel. You know, there there's a second movie that we'll talk about next week. But if there weren't, if this is all that we ever saw, the lesson here is that ultimately the army is more dangerous than an army of undead. Yeah, and that goes back again to all the way back to Night of the Living Dead. That's usually the zombie movie thing is there are your human monsters and there are your zombies out there. Yeah, it's not fresh. 
So we've got that here, and I just assumed that they killed her. I mean, why wouldn't they? They killed so many people by letting them turn into zombies. I mean, at best, just throw her in with some zombies and let her get bitten and don't give her the Zombrex, and your secret is safe, theoretically. Well, yeah, and the stakes were set. We saw the guards at the wall actually kill unturned citizens. Yeah. Yeah, they've killed the head of Fiza at this point. They've killed Logan. Actually, I think Chase got that one. He took the bomb that was meant for the wall and blew him up with it. And after hitting him in the back with an axe, I mean, that guy really gets overkill. Yeah. And Maggie and Casey, she is there when the firebombs come. She and her daughter are running to the doorway of a warehouse when they're incinerated to some pop punk by Skull Tape. Somehow I don't think they were ever popular. (laughs) You know, there was some decent, like, sound-alike metal in this. Uh, I kind of thought that that almost sounded like Rob Zombie if I were drunk enough. Blink-183, yeah. I mean, it definitely (laughs) off-brand, kind of like, well, Five doors down. Yeah, it's it's almost like something popular ten years ago. I mean, it's also 2015. I want to remind you, pop-punk is not the dominating force. All of these ideas feel like they're ten years too late. You know, again, this game came out in 2006, and the movie's not coming out until 2015. That's the problem that happens when you don't adapt quickly. And I do feel like this movie blue balls us, though, because we get out there, and it does seem like Chase and Crystal have a thing now. She's He's overcome her barriers and got her to trust him when she did the experiment showing that there is the fake Zombrex and the real Zombrex. But it just seems to end with Chase finding that phone, and that was the end of it. Because they still firebomb the town for reasons. Right. Again, covering up their tracks. Covering up the fact that if anyone went into that warehouse, they would find out that that Zombrex isn't like the ones that Phenotrans manufactures normally. It was made to be uh, placebo so that they could make this happen. The question remains, now that we've had Project Watchtower give the army all this control, what are they going to do with it? Maybe we'll find out next week. But until then, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Dead Rising Watchtower? Justin. You would think after the conversation we had, it would just be easy to not recommend this. But I have to say, you know, after diving into these games again, I don't envy whoever's task it was to figure out where to set this movie. You know, because if you're going to use these games as a template, I think the first game is just straight out. You can't make a movie about zombies in a mall. I mean, there's got to be copyright infringement there, you know? (laughs) Romero is still alive at this point. He can definitely get lawyer up and and get them. Right. (laughs) So, okay, you can't do that. The second game was set in Vegas. Well, budgetary restraints probably say you're not going to shoot a zombie thriller in Vegas unless you're Zack Snyder. You could film Leprechaun 3 in (laughs) Vegas, but not this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, I, I don't know what their budget was, but it, it was very obviously Canadian budget. It's crackle money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got to give them somewhat of credit of being like, okay, we're going to acknowledge the events of the games that came before, set this in modern day. Like, so that's what Frank West is here to do is remind us of the past. Frank West is in this movie to say, hey, you've played the game. You remember me. I'm a hero in your world. So this, that's, that's, I think, a good instinct if these are the parameters in front of you. And I do like the idea of cutting back to this news footage. You know, I think it just falls apart without lack of cohesive direction. 
This whole thing just felt like it was, I've seen zombie movies before, I've played video games before, let's just kind of mash it together. But the story is pretty straightforward. We've seen so many movies in this game world that don't pay any attention to the source material, start to tell a story and then meander. I mean, I'm looking at you, Uva Bowl. But this movie does set out to tell a story and wraps it up. It might not be... 100% cohesive, it might not even be satisfying, but it, at least it works as a standalone movie. So I'm having a hard time trashing this movie completely because there is a lot of love for the game in here. I mean, visually, mm -hmm. they throw a lot of the elements in, they pay attention to the game mechanics. All that orange juice, you, yeah, like you've helped me so much understanding where its preoccupations came from. Yeah, so this isn't just some crass, like, oh, we have to make a movie about this video game people like. I mean, I feel like whoever made this movie actually liked the game and wanted yeah. to put a lot of that on screen. So I'll say this. If you're just into zombie movies and want to watch a good one, this isn't for you. If you are a fan of those original Dead Rising games and haven't seen this, it might be worth checking out. So, I mean, overall, it's a not recommend, but it could be a slight recommend to a fan of the series. Stuart. Yeah, I get that. I mean, it does feel like if you're adapting the game, and this is someone that hasn't played the game, uh, that was a game that was coasting on zombie lore that had already been established in decades and decades of previous movies. And so how do you make it fresh? You really can't and honor what was done in that game. All you can hope to do is make it irreverent, make it a party. And the problem is, is that we're 30 years beyond Return of the Living Dead, and Zomcoms are all over the place, but they don't want to be funny. The shock of this is that they seem to be more in love with the idea of pursuing the pathos of Walking Dead and the drama of a mother who's lost her child or a woman that, you know, is on the verge of turning and needs her next fix in order to stay human. Where was the camp? Like, you're going to have people riding around on motorcycles, throwing bombs and what have you. I, I just figure, like, you want the whole movie to feel like that kind of party. And it only comes in fits and starts and in mostly done in really shitty cinematography. I can't tell you again how much I hated the look of this movie and slow moving, stupid, shoot it in the head. It's true of Undead. I think it's true of Watchtower. As someone that didn't know anything about the game and just wants a good zombie movie, this is one you want to skip. When it comes to video game adaptation movies, I kind of take the same tact that I take with comic book movies, which is you've got a built-in audience. Studios, apparently even Crackle, are afraid of original concepts. You want something with some name recognition, so you bring in your Iron Man or your Dead Rising. But, you know, when, Justin, you said that if you're a fan of the game, this could be a recommend, you shouldn't have to be a fan of the game for the movie to work. That's where it really comes across. And I have some things like that last Mortal Kombat where the callbacks to the games improve the movie for me. But when it comes to this one, I'm looking at it and, to me, miles better than Leprechaun Origins. The characters are more likable, the deaths are more visible, there's less POV stuff, there's no hornswoggle trying to growl. <laughs> you might be right. I'm not going to fall on that sword. Okay, it's much better <laughs> than Leprechaun Origins. Sure, all right. And the characters are not only more likable than Leprechaun Origins, I find the characters here more likable than Army of the Dead, and that had a lot more money. Wow, now that is saying something. I can't think of any character in Army of the Dead that I like as much as Crystal or Logan in this. And honestly, the movie was coherent. You keep talking about the camera work, Stuart, but I thought, you know, this has 
passable production values. I would say that if I'm watching The CW and I'm watching an episode of Green Arrow, this is similar. And so when I compare it to some of the recent zombie movies we've discussed or compare it to so many of the video game movies we've discussed, it's so much better than all of those. I'm really, really tempted to give this a pass. It's too long. It needs to be edited down. A lot of the repetition needs to go. There are certain scenes. A fan edit of this could actually be a good movie that would work at a decent clip. I don't know if Crackle demanded a two-hour cut. Yeah, that's that's the bizarre part. Yeah, why mm. why would it want longer? Yeah, that's why you bring in Rob Riggle to give his worst performance I've ever seen him give. I don't know, but. It's really tempting, but then I just had to tell myself that just because you're valedictorian of the remedial English class doesn't make you Shakespeare. So, I mean, the Zombrex added something I'd never seen before to a zombie movie, the cure that would stave it off. I mean, it's got originality, but I'm going to quote Lyons. I can think of a lot of words to describe this film, but success is not one of them. It's a weak not recommend. Yeah, it sounds like we're more or less all in the same area there. They had, they didn't have nothing. They weren't ovable. They didn't like go to the bottom of the toilet. They had something that could have worked. For me, it's not even the budget. It feels like if you had the director with the right sensibilities, you could have made this short, tight, fun B-movie. I agree with that. It's not a budget problem necessarily. It's fully in the writing and directing. Yeah, it's just not a lot of fun. And and a movie like this, that needs to be its currency. It needs to completely trade in entertainment, irreverence, outrageousness. Especially since that was the tone of the games. Well, I know nothing about these movies. Is director Lepofsky or writer Tim Carter coming back for the next one? Does anyone know? Well, no, that's reason to hope. There will be a new director. There'll be a new screenwriter coming into this. Some new actors. Jesse Metcalf is coming back. Jordan, the camera woman, is apparently coming back. Oh. Even Haysbert is coming back. So there will be some carryover in storylines, but I imagine it could be a very different tone. Wow, I really expected this to be like Alone in the Dark 2 or The Legend of Chun-Li. I didn't expect we'd see any of these characters back in the sequel. Yeah, that's hopeful. Yeah, that's, uh, it, the problem could be fixed. It's to say that a, a not recommend this week could be a mild recommend. I mean, I'm not going to go crazy. It's not going to be a great movie next week, but I could see it edging over the line and becoming an entertaining green era. Yeah, it, it just has to be a little bit better than this one, and I'd give it a recommend. Right. In the meantime, if you want some more TV movies, uh, we got them this Friday with the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. This is the foreign film one. It was made for European television, and some would argue, maybe even me, it's better than the Fincher remake. German television is very different than American television, though, right? Like, it will have gore and things. Swedish television, yes. It will, yeah, it, it, it isn't CW. I'll put it that way. <laughs> so join us with the David Fincher reviews and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo reviews. It's for the donors of $25 or more. You can find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It is your support that keeps us on the air and keeps us putting quarters in the Now Playing Arcade, where we are going to be back next week with Dead Rising Endgame, which I'm sure will be just as good as Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for that joke. It's like, yeah, which one will be better? Find out next week. 
And just a reminder, before we end the show, we are still giving away five physical Blu-ray copies of the 40th anniversary release of Raiders of the Lost Ark on Blu-ray with the remastered HDR10 and Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos Sound, seven hours of bonus features. And thanks to our friends at Paramount for giving us those to give away. To enter, either join our Facebook group. It's a private group, but anyone can enter the now playing listeners group if you go to our facebook page it's the pinned post or you can subscribe to the now playing in focus newsletter that jason puts out every single friday with schedule updates behind the scenes news what we're watching here at now playing and more but you've got to hurry the winners are going to be announced june 18th so good luck and justin stewart thank you for joining me and until next time game over you've done well general Public pressure has worked exactly as you predicted. I believe we've helped the Congress and the press better understand their priorities, sir. I have the go order in my hand. You have your green light, Lions. Yeah, are we done? Almost. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Put down your phones and run for your goddamn life. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You did your best. More than most people would. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. We're not going to get a million plus hits talking about tents. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. If you're knee-deep in shit, you should be happy it's not up to your neck. But you're still knee-deep in shit. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. But I'll tell you one thing, talking to us ain't going to help you at all. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You've got to hold on to your friends. They're not easy to find. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks. Find the details on our website. I need a favor, but it's dangerous. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Great. What's your name again? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Come on. Follow me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm king of this shit. Associate produced by Jason Latham. You hacked his personal schedule. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Just make sure you finish the job. Now Playing credits read by Brock. If he doesn't talk, leave his body by the junction. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, don't you think the American people deserve to know the truth? American people don't give a shit. 
Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. The lawsuit here would bury this network. Now the lawyers tell us what's news. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. This is your chance to tell your government how you feel about being abandoned. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Phenotrans. Stay human. But yeah, the first one, maybe 75 minutes yeah. talking about the game. Yeah, I think this, yeah, the first one will be a normal short show. And the second one will be a short, short show. Yeah. I'm, I'm the opposite of that band in the 90s. I want a short, want no short, short show. Don't want, don't want, don't want. Now that you've got me thinking about 90s jams. <laughs> Can uh, you remember the name of that band? I can't remember the name oh, of the who, band. Oh, who did the song? No, I don't know. Some supermarket cashier that had a... Mr. Microphone. That uh, video <laughs> channel I talked about with the uh, the Sleepwalkers t-shirt, that yeah. they basically showed Pop That Coochie and Short Short Man in endless rotation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Videos you wouldn't get played on MTV. Yeah. <laughs> Genitalia rap. A brief, <laughs> a brief period, EPO. In, in the rap. On Sirius Channel yeah. 78. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They just added WAP on there. Camel toes and dicks. That's all we got all day long. <laughs> hey, guys. Guys, can we pause real quick? I've got a ferret, like, desperate to get in my office, and it's just scratching like, oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Is, is that a metaphor? Go... Yeah, right? I'm going to catch her and put her in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> ah!